In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sometimes you have to wonder a little bit about the church, whether it's in touch with reality or not. I don't tune in to Christian radio and TV much, but a small dose of what flies for Christianity in our culture goes a long way for me. It surely doesn't always square with what you read in the scriptures. At least it doesn't always square with what we hear this morning from the evangelist St. John in our gospel and in the epistle and also from St. Luke in the book of Acts. But before we become too critical of them, let's acknowledge that they are us. That we, we may want to think that we are not of this world, but we are. Way too much. The darkness is deep, and it is in us, and it is all around us. The seventh Sunday of Easter has always intrigued me because it's a Sunday that is in betwixt and in between. Last Thursday we celebrated the Ascension, next Sunday is Pentecost. And think about what those disciples, those first disciples during that time must have felt like. Those 10 days between the 40th and 50th day must have been somewhat confusing for them. They were without the presence of the risen Lord and the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. And we know from the book of Acts that they did not yet fully understand the crucifixion and resurrection. For as they gathered there at the ascension, they still thought of the kingdom, not in terms of humility and suffering, but in terms of power and glory. For they actually asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus must point them again to the promise of the Spirit, who will fully enlighten them in all things, and then to point them to their witness in the mission that they've been given by the Lord to bear witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And even as the disciples watched Jesus ascend in the cloud, disappearing from their sight, they stand there with their mouths open, gazing up into heaven, not quite understanding what was taking place. It took two angels from heaven in white robes to shake them from their stupor and to send them back to Jerusalem. The church is always in danger of living in that same stupor, to exist as if it lived in those 10 days between the Ascension and Pentecost. And particularly in this Protestant religious culture of ours, it would be so easy for us on the basis of the Ascension to confess the real absence of Jesus Christ according to his human nature. And instead, the Lutheran Church, the Church Catholic, has always used the ascension as the occasion to confess the real presence of Jesus Christ, according to both natures, human and divine, exactly where he promises to be, in baptism, in preaching, in the supper of our Lord. For in Jesus' ascension in the cloud, his human nature, 
is now enthroned at the right hand of the Father and our human nature as well. You have entered heaven in the person of Jesus, even now, right now. For in his ascension and heavenly glorification, you have a pledge of him, of what you will someday be, and a glimpse of what you already are now. Now think about that for a moment on this seventh Sunday of Easter, that in Christ you are already in heaven. That's what Jesus' suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension are all about. And so no matter how deep the darkness is, the triumph is already ours and will always be, no matter how hard the evil one fights against us. But did those disciples on that first ascension, during those ten days, did they realize that through the ascension of Jesus Christ they were already in heaven? Perhaps, perhaps not. That's why St. John's words to us from Jesus are so important. Words that he spoke on the night in which he was betrayed. For the problem for them and for us is this. We don't want to acknowledge how deep the darkness is, and we really don't always fully comprehend what it means to abide in Christ and for Christ to abide in us. That's why I love those words so much from that great evening hymn we all love to sing, The Darkness Deepens, Lord, with me abide. Now how deep is the darkness? All you have to do, it seems to me, is to raise your antenna a little bit, tune in, and you can feel the evil one creeping, prowling about, infecting us and our world with his poison. Even in the church, especially in the church, for the devil has the world already and he has to spend very little time tending that garden. Instead, the evil one is in our homes and our yards and our churches planting his seeds. He knows how to exploit the impulsive desire of the flesh. He knows how to destroy Christian communities through sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now those aren't my categories. Those are the categories of St. Paul in writing to a Christian community in which the impulsive desire of the flesh had built a military base of operations in their community. And none of us is immune from this. For Paul writes that same Christian community and says to them, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Did the disciples know how dark it really was? I think they did. Perhaps we don't realize this, but for them the crucifixion was only 40 days old. And for them the crucifixion 
was still, humanly speaking, a horrible act, a scandal, one of the greatest embarrassments that they could have possibly experienced in their lives. And no matter how many times the risen Lord appeared to them, they still had the memory of Jesus nailed outside Jerusalem, naked for all the world to see. Jesus may have died and risen, but they still lived in a corrupt world. They still lived in a world in which there was a corrupt religious establishment that either denied the resurrection on one hand or felt that somehow through their own human works they could be made right with God. And then there were the Romans with their military presence and their gross outbursts of the impulsive desire of the flesh. But most of all, most of all there was the evil one who had infected all of them 42 days earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even Peter, even Peter, who denied Jesus three times. And worst of all was Judas, the betrayer, so filled with evil from the evil one that he saw nothing but darkness and despair to the point where death was the only answer to his agony. And so in the words of St. Luke, falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. It doesn't get any darker than that. During those 10 days between the Ascension and Pentecost, as the disciples contemplated the darkness, they might as well have prayed the collect that we prayed today. Leave us not without consolation, but send us the spirit of truth whom you promised from the Father. Jesus' words from our Gospel lesson this morning, on the night in which he was betrayed, must have been of great comfort to them. Jesus prayed, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they might be one, even as we are one. When Jesus was with them, he kept them from the evil one. But now he's leaving them behind. He does not ask the Father to take them out of this world. They must continue to live in a world darkened by the virus of sin, a world that hates them because they aren't part of this darkened world. But they still live in this world of darkness. And the darkness hates them because they abide in Christ who is not of this world because he is the light of the world. What Jesus does do for them is petition his Father to keep his disciples in the Father's name, the name given to the Son by the Father, the name that was placed upon them by baptism through water, word, and promised spirit the strong name of the Trinity placed upon them was like the holy cloud over the holy tabernacle. What it said to them was this, Christ is here, present bodily now, according to both his divine and human nature. And the strong name of the Trinity will keep and guard you from the evil one. Now how can this be? 
Well, it was a done deal from the foundation of the world. Publicly revealed at Jesus' baptism when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, the Christ, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then it was finished at a cross. The world infected by this virus must be sanctified, and it could only be sanctified, cleansed, purified by the Holy One of God, our Lord Himself. Only Jesus can make the whole cosmos clean and holy by sanctifying it through blood, His blood, the blood of Jesus Christ who cleanses the world of its sin. And that's why Jesus says to his Father, and for their sake I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And so it is that Jesus' prayer for his disciples and for us is this. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. To sanctify, as I just said, is to make holy and pure. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus is praying to his Father that the disciples be made holy by their communion with him, the living Word who is God's very truth. And Jesus speaks these things in the world even though they are not of this world, and he says this remarkable thing, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. And how does this truth that brings joy come to them and to us? How is it that we and they know that we are made holy by abiding in Christ? It really is so very simple. And that very same evangelist St. John writes in his first letter, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. And he does. He abided with all of us all the way to the cross and beyond that to an empty tomb. And then he took us with him into his own suffering and death, buried us with him in his tomb, and then carried us up out of the grave to a life that never ends. And as we stood there, dripping wet in our baptismal puddle, we spoke our first sanctified words. Abba, Father. And then the Father, by his Spirit, gave us to feast upon his Son. Take, eat, he said, the body of Christ given for you. Take, drink, the blood of Christ shed for you. And then we heard Jesus pray, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.